Hello out there in podcast land. Welcome to Caregiving is a Ministry, where we look at the Word of God through the lens of caregiving. It's been a while, has it not? Did you miss me? I missed you. But I need you to know that in the time frame of our last recording and until now, I have relocated almost clear across the nation. I now reside in California. Pasadena, California to be exact. I picked up, moved my household and everything over here so that I could be an on-campus student at Fuller Theological Seminary. And if I tell you that work has increased tremendously, please believe me. There's so much reading to do and so much writing to do. But if we're honest, and we are, I love it. I love being here. I love being here in Pasadena. Of course, I miss my dear friends in um, Tampa, but God is doing great things here for me in Pasadena. But with all of that said, we need to resume this podcast, do we not? And so we left off at Psalm 73, and so today we will pick back up at Psalm 74. We're almost halfway through the Psalms. We're doing pretty good, would you say? So let's go ahead and look at Psalm 74. I'm going to be reading from the Common English Bible today. And it reads, God, why have you abandoned us? Why does your anger smolder at the sheep of your own pasture? Remember your congregation that you took as your own long ago, that you redeemed to be the tribe of your own possession. Remember Mount Zion where you dwell marching to the unending ruins of all that the enemy destroyed in the sanctuary. Your enemies roar in your own meeting place. They set up their own signs there. They look like axes raised against the thicket of trees. And then all its carvings they hack down with hatchet and pick. They set fire to your sanctuary, burned it down to the ground. They defined the dwelling place of your name. They said in their hearts, We'll kill all of them together. They burned all of God's meeting places in the land. We don't see our own signs anymore. No prophet is left, and none of us know how long it will last. How long, God, will foes insult you? Are enemies going to abuse your name forever? Why do you pull your hand back? Why do you hold your strong hand closed to your chest? Yet... God has been my king from ancient days. God who makes salvation happen in the earth, the heart of the earth. You split the sea with your power. You shattered the heads of the sea monsters on the water. You crushed Leviathan's head. You gave it to the desert dwellers for food. You split open springs and streams. You made strong flowing rivers dry right up. The day belongs to you, the night too. You established both the moon and the sun. You set all the boundaries of the earth in place, summer and winter. You made them. So remember this, Lord, how enemies have insulted you, how unbelieving fools have abused your name. Don't deliver the life of your dove to wild animals. Don't forget the lives of your afflicted people forever. Consider the covenant, because the land's dark places are full of violence. Don't let the oppressed live in shame. 
No, let the poor and needy praise your name. God, rise up, make your case. Remember how unbelieving fools insult you all day long. Don't forget the voices of your enemies, the ratchet of your adversary that never quits. Wow, right? It's a lot. So let's begin. I'm going to give you a clue right off the bat. Or actually, I'll just, yeah, I'll give you a clue. David didn't write this song. (laughs) It was written by the first worship leader. Do you remember who that was? Asaph. When you look up Psalm 74 in your Bible, it may state that it is a song written by Mascal, given by David, at least mine does, and that it is a Mascal, M-A-S-K-I-L. And when I was researching that word, Mascal, I found varying meanings, but there was a consensus that it referred to a unique insight or knowledge. Therefore, I guess we can safely agree that David appointed Asaph to write this particular song. Then it begs the question, well, what expertise did Asaph have in order for, you know, David to ask him to write this song? And that's what we're going to discover in today's episode. Exactly what knowledge Asaf seemed to have had. So, when I read this, what did you hear in the song? Did you hear anger and desperation? I did. Asaf in his questioning of God reveals his anger and despair in verses 1 through 11. And I want to point out how Asaf boldly challenges God by reminding him that he, God himself, called the children of Israel to be his own. And now he's abandoning them. He then gives us a synopsis of what has occurred. And that's in verses 3 through 7. So let's listen again and, and, and let's see if you can figure out what has occurred. Verse 3. March to the unending ruins to all that the enemy destroyed in the sanctuary. Your enemies roared in your own meeting place. They set up their own signs there. They looked like axes raised against trees. And then all of its carvings they hacked down with the hatchet and pick. They set fire to your sanctuary burned it to the ground. They defiled the dwelling place of your name. So what has occurred? The temple has been destroyed. That's what has occurred. And I may have misspoken because my Bible doesn't say that David um, commissioned this um, psalm, but it does say specifically that Asaph wrote it and that it is a Moscow. So just to clear that up. But the temple has been destroyed. And so Asaph, as well as the entire nation, are lamenting over the destruction of the temple. And therefore, we can consider this a communal lamenting song. They tell God, look at, look at what they've done. And what, what they've done to your dwelling place. They bring it right back to God. This is your place. The fact that God's own temple has been invaded is especially souring, don't you think? That was a significant place. And I want us to remember that at the beginning, it was a nomadic tent, remember, called the tabernacle. 
that was later made into a permanent structure by David's own son Solomon. This was the place God himself dwelt among his people. Remember his Shekinah glory in the Holy of Holies. All the other gods of the surrounding pagans that they worshipped, they didn't have a living, their living God who dwelled among them. But the God of Israel, Yahweh, did. And now that place has been destroyed, signaling that God has left, that God's presence is now gone. A crushing realization to come to the children of Israel, right? And to Asaph. And, and so then he asked God in verse 10, well, how long are you going to allow this to happen? Of course, we know what caused God to to leave and to allow the exile and the destruction of his temple. It was the idolatry and adulterous lifestyle of his own called out people that they turned to idolatry as opposed to him. They brought it upon themselves in essence, but they can't see that, not now. So they turn to God and they start to beg why. The following verses are then a historical account of their departure out of Israel, I mean out of Egypt. Did you catch that as I read it? It was written metaphorically, but verses 12 through 17 are really their exodus. You don't believe me? Okay, let's read it again. Verse 12 through 17. Yet, God has been my king from ancient days, there's a clue, who who makes salvation happen in the heart of the earth. You split the sea with your power. You shattered the heads of the sea monsters on the water. Is that not the Egyptian army? You crushed Leviathan's head. That's Pharaoh. You gave it up. You gave it to the desert dwellers for food. You know, they died. They perished. And then you split open springs and streams. That once again, the parting of the Red Sea. You made strong flowering rivers dry right up so that they walked on dry land, right? The day belongs to you. The night too. You established both the moon and the sun. And remember, as they were walking out of um, Egypt and when they were in the desert, God provided a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That's the day and the night are his too, right? And then it says, you set all the boundaries of the earth in place, summer and winter, you made them. They're referring to the Exodus, right? The last verses of this particular Psalm are then a um, plea to God not to turn away from them, to not, you know, abandon them, to to not turn them over as, as Asaph says, as a dove soft, innocent, peaceful to the wolves, to, to the angry enemies. Now we know the children of Israel were far from quiet, innocent, and gentle, yet that's how they saw themselves, especially in comparison to their enemies. Now, have you ever met a person or people with unrealistic and sometimes just downright wrong opinions of themselves? People who cannot honestly give a self-critique and see where, you know, where they have to improve on anything. And to be honest, I try my best to stay away from people like that. It becomes hard to develop a meaningful relationship because they will never acknowledge their role in anything. You know, anything that doesn't go quite right, they had no contributing factor to that. So therefore, you will bear all the blame. 
all the time. And the word of God states that what we are all sinners. And if the word of God is accurate and we trust it, which we do, it is and we do, there is no way anyone can claim to be 100% correct all the time or 100% innocent all the time. It's just an unhealthy way to live because you don't they're not seeing things clearly. But that's how our Israel, our dear brothers and sisters of ancient Israel saw themselves. They they had forgotten what they did that brought God's judgment. Now we must remember that this generation is not the generation that witnessed the 10 plagues or walked out of Egypt with Moses and God into the promised land. We are at least two or three generations removed from that group, if not more. But recall that God instructed them to pass down this history to their children and to their children's children. Why? Why do you think God wanted them to tell this story of him leading them out of the land of Egypt and sustaining them with manna and quail? Why do you think he wanted them to be told this history to be told over and over again? I think the reason can be found in the Deuteronomic laws in chapters 15 and 24. God makes this statement, remember you were once slaves. There are a couple of times in those two chapters where God states that as he's giving them additional laws because we know that there were more than just the Ten Commandments. God wanted them to remember their experience as outcast, as marginalized, as mistreated. The reason is remembering is a way of ensuring that they would not do to others what was done to them by the hands of the Egyptians. It creates empathy and not apathy. They can relate to the quote-unquote foreigner because they were once foreigners in Egypt, right? They can give themselves to the stranger in need because they were in need, right? And, and no one gave to them when they were in need. So in turn, they're going to give because they don't want anyone to experience what they felt. <clears throat> Excuse me. Of course, in their remembering how they were treated, they also remember who brought them out, right? God. And to continue to stay faithful to him based on everything that he did for them. But they did not. And it started with them not passing down their history. So the generations after them didn't know. So they're begging God and asking him why he's left them. When really what they should be doing is saying, what did we do that brought this on? Why did we not do as God instructed us? That really should be the question. (laughs) Then I want us to park right there. But right here for a second. Are you experiencing an Israelite moment where you're asking God, why, God, why? Things aren't going correct. You're frustrated. Doors are closed. Perhaps the question shouldn't be posed to God, but to yourself. I'll insert my name. Why, Greta, is this happening? As an example. See, I have grown with God long enough for him to press upon me that when something isn't going the way that I want in life, that I don't come to him immediately with the why, but first I look in the mirror to see if I've been disobedient to something that he's asked me to do. 
once I can clear that, whereas, well, no, I can't recall of anything and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to me and nothing comes, then I can go to him and I'm like, okay, why is this happening? And it could be because that's not the direction that he has for me to go. It's just like a closed door because it's not the right time. It's not the right setting. But if there is something that he's asked me to do and I haven't done it, now I definitely know why the door is closed, right? Often when the Holy Spirit reveals what, you know, I haven't done, that's then when I can repent, right? I can repent and then do what God has asked me to do. And things clear up. And this goes back to being honest with ourselves, that self-critique, which I don't want you to confuse with self-criticism. I'm not telling you to throw shade on yourself or anything like that, but to have an honest look in the mirror and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal where you need to repent and improve. We all need to, and a mature Christian seeks God's correction. As a caregiver, you need to be honest with yourself, okay? Just because you're caring for your loved one does not mean everybody else is going to bow down to you, nor should they. It doesn't mean everyone should shower you with accolades, you know, for what you're doing and you be the center of attention. It doesn't mean that at all. You being a caregiver means that you have accepted your call this season in life that God has called you to. And since he has called you to do this, that means he's going to give you all the tools that you need and supply you with all that you need to get through this season and for the person that you're caring for. Will it be easy? No. But will you have peace of mind when your season of caregiving is over? Yes. You will have grown closer in your relationship with God and hopefully the one you're caring for. I don't want any of us to become like the Israelites that um, who don't know their history. Know your history as a child of God, remembering what he's brought you through, and then share it with others. Don't be afraid to share your testimony about what God has done for you. It doesn't have to be a formal thing. I'm not, I'm not asking you to go down in front of the church and the congregation or things like that. I'm just asking you to be honest. You know, like when someone says, I sure don't know how you do it. Your, your reply can be through the grace of God. God has given me the ability to do this and I rely on him. Or when someone comes over to help, you know, you get a phone call. Like I said, I had several friends in Hawaii who would come over and watch mama. You can really say, you know, you are answering God's prayer for me. I prayed for someone to help me and here you are. You are an answered prayer by God. That's a testimony. That's you knowing where your blessings come from. That's you knowing that God is providing for you. Our role, just as it was with ancient Israel, is to trust and obey God. We do whatever. We don't ever want God to remove his presence from us, which which, which for us would mean we no longer can hear him speak through us through the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that there's anywhere in the New Testament that speaks of the Holy Spirit departing a believer who has confessed Christ. In the Old Testament, yes, but not in the New. Therefore, the way God, quote-unquote, departs from us is that he stops speaking, oftentimes because we've ignored him, the Holy Spirit, or because we are so ingrained and entrenched in our sin that we can't hear him. We always want to be able to hear the Holy Spirit speak to us. 
So even though the psalm was a communal lamenting psalm, them asking God why he had allowed this, the reality was they brought this on themselves. They opened the door with their adultery and idolatry. So today, I want you to go look in, look yourself in the mirror and ask the Holy Spirit to re- reveal where you have been disobedient if you have been. And if you have been disobedient and the Holy Spirit reveals it to you, then you repent and you ask him to help you to always say yes and amen to whatever God asks you to do. Let us pray. Dear holy, magnificent, worthy of all praise, our God, Jehovah. We come thanking you for reunited podcaster and podcast family once again. I thank you for keeping them safe. I thank you, Father, for continuing to bless them and to keep them and to love them. Thank you for our time apart. May it have been a time of rest for them. I thank you for getting me here to California, but we come before you united, learning more about who you are and who we are in you. Father, we know that lamenting is part of a relationship and it's part of our worship to you that we can come to you and and voice our frustrations. But today we learned, Father, that sometimes we're lamenting and we're asking you why when we already have the answers. The answer is it's something that we've done. And so we come before you today asking that as we, each one of us look in the mirror today and ask of you if there is some place where we have been disobedient, that you bring it to our memory and then help us to accept it and to repent of it and then to move on. Help us to never be ashamed to come before you and ask for your help in correcting our behaviors and our thought patterns and things that we have done. We want to grow in our relationship with you. And in this season of caregiving, we really need you because we need your strength emotionally, physically, spiritually to help us endure this season as we care for a loved one who cannot care for themselves. Thank you for the honor of asking us to be caregivers. Now help us to be humble and submissive to your will and to be obedient in all that you ask. I ask that you continue to protect each person who is listening. You know what they are going through individually as well as collectively because you are a God who is in the details of our lives. And we thank you for that. Help us to trust you. Bless each and every one of us. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, my podcast family, I want you to go minister to caregiving in the name of Jesus. And I'll see you tomorrow. Bye.